the benefits are when we're aligned with our vertical, like our actual beingness, everything becomes more sacred. So when our engagement goes up, our performance goes up. And I also would invite everyone to think of their their organizations as almost like organisms so that they become alive entities in and of themselves. And what's been shown is when we focus two thirds on creating healthy cultures and one third on financial results, that is where alchemy happens. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves why cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. I'm your host, Maria Ross. I'm a speaker, author, mom, facilitator, and empathy advocate. And here, you'll meet trailblazing leaders and executives, authors, and experts who embrace empathy to achieve radical success. We discuss all facets of empathy, from trends and research to the future of work, to how to heal societal divisions and collaborate more effectively. Our goal is to redefine success and prove that empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Did you know your organization is not just some static, monolithic thing? It's actually similar to a forest. Living, breathing, adapting, full of evolving biodiversity. Sounds about right, since organizations are made up of living, breathing, adapting human beings. But so often leaders get stuck, focus on forcing our productivity in numbers, and end up underperforming as a result and causing disengagement and mental health crises in their wake. Today, my guest, Catherine Bell, shares how integrating consciousness, empathy, and relationship building creates what she calls an awakening company that combines profitable performance with conscious purpose. Catherine is a successful serial entrepreneur, business leader, and best-selling business author who focuses on awakening the fire within as founder of The Awakened Company. She founded Blue Era, a Profit 500 executive search firm. As a top 200 growing company in Canada and top 10 in Alberta, Blue Era was a successful example of the awakened company system in action, one that's being integrated into the Smith Queens School of Business Masters of Entrepreneurship. She now helps organizations develop culture strategies. She's also the best-selling author of her book, Awakened Company. We discuss what an awakening company looks like, how leaders who are empathetic can be more self-aware and conscious in the moment, leading to higher engagement and performance. And she shares an empathic practice to bring you home to your body in a nanosecond. What I love about Catherine's work is she, like me, fuses compassion, relationships, and consciousness with tangible business performance and transformation. Your invitation today is to be brave enough to transform your leadership style to reap all the rewards. Take a listen. Welcome, Catherine, to the Empathy Edge podcast here to talk about what it means to be an awakened company and how to leverage empathy to build better relationships. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everybody who is listening as well. Yes, thank you, my awesome listeners. So I want to talk a little bit about your both your company and your book called The Awakened Company. Tell us what an awakened company is and what does it look and act like? An awakened company is an organization that solves a problem 
And in solving a problem does not cause harm to either the environment or to humanity. And awakening organizations, I use the term awakening because I don't believe it's a conclusion, whereas awakened, it sounds like it's concluded. Whereas awakening, awakening organizations are like a live forest. Yeah, They have diversity. They have different experiences and they're all allowed mm-hmm. and they're alive and vibrant. Whereas, you know, when we go into organizations, often we can feel like they're like sludge. Mm-hmm. They feel they feel slow and stuck and not alive and vibrant. Mm-hmm. That's the opposite of an awakening organization. An awakening organization is like seeing all the butterflies in the forest and smelling that great, wonderful air when we walk in the forest. So it's vibrant. It's emergent. It's mm-hmm. not something that's static or stuck in the mud. I was going to say it really it really reminds me of, you know, versus some other terms I've heard, which is like a conscious company or purpose driven or other terms that are out there. What I like about that is, is that analogy really speaks to how a an organization, like you said, is not a static thing, but it needs to ebb and flow. It goes through seasons. It goes through phases. It goes through rebirth and it goes through death and it goes through all mm. of these different phases. And it's okay because it is sort of a, a living, breathing thing because it's made up of people who are living, breathing things. That is so accurate. And in my upcoming playbook, I actually talk about, and the playbook is like, how do we create awakening organizations? I actually talk about the seasons, that we need seasons in our organizations. Mm -hmm. We need quiet time. We can't just be relentlessly on the go and at the mercy of productivity. That's not what an awakening organization is. Mm -hmm. An awakening organization also pauses. Mm -hmm takes a breath. And then something more creative and dynamic can come in. So there's, you know, there's kind of three pillars. If you were to imagine a drop in an ocean, so we're dropping a drop of water in the ocean. First, we awaken ourselves. Then we awaken our relationships. Then we awaken our teams, our organization, our communities. But the ripple extends and it's alive and it's it's moving. The first drop though is with ourselves and that's where empathy comes in is like, how do we awaken ourselves? And one of the tools, because, you know, when you look at the data, the majority of people are disengaged at work. And that's a real challenge, a real challenge. And so how do we wake up something new? And I just want to touch in on empathy. You know, there's cognitive empathy, emotional empathy, empathetic concern. And what I love about those three things is they tap into the three centers of the Enneagram. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but it's something that every leader should know about because it talks about the heart, the head and the gut. And so yesterday on one of our webinars, I'm going to give like a real example. I had somebody who was just down in the dumps. And I noticed I'm an Enneagram type eight. I immediately wanted to fix it, wanted to like, you know, get in there and and kind of do, oh, here's the things you need to do. Is so that the action. achiever? No, uh, okay. it's the I'm challenger. Okay, I'm the achiever. I don't know which one that is, but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, let me quickly go through each type. So when we think of cognitive empathy, those are the head types. So the five, the observer, the six, the loyalist, the seven, the enthusiast. And you can go to our YouTube channel. We have a whole bunch of free videos and people can learn more about it. Then there's emotional empathy, which is our hearts. 
which is the two, the helper, the three, the achiever, which is you, the four, the individualist. And then there's the more body-centered types, which is me. And that's the eight, nine, and one, challenger, peacemaker, and reformer. So the invitation is to get in touch with, you know, our self-wisdom, our self-knowledge, so that we can understand where our biases may be in terms of how we're going to act from an empathetic perspective. Mm -hmm. So some people will be biased to be more like empathetic from a head perspective. Others will be empathetic from a heart perspective and others will be empathetic from more of an action or inaction perspective. Mm -hmm. And so to really get in touch with that. So knowing that my bias was towards action and I literally felt my body go to wanting to act. Well, have you tried this? Have you done this? Have you done this? I'm like, no, that's not what he needs. He needs you to sit and be with him in his challenging, in his hardship. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. But if I didn't know what my bias was in terms of my Enneagram type, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Right, right. Yeah. And, and you know, when I did my research for my book, The Empathy Edge, I talked a lot about the differences. And when I do leadership trainings, it's talking about the difference between cognitive empathy and affective or emotional empathy. And then both of those leading to action or could lead to action, which is compassion. Compassion is empathy and action. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you're relating this to understanding your own leadership style so you know where to lean in and where you need to sort of watch yourself and tread carefully, or you might not be giving the person what they actually need in that moment. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I am just so curious because you seem to blend business performance with these these almost spiritual ideas. So what brought you to this work where you're fusing those two things together? What a great question. Thank you for asking it. No one's ever asked me that one before. So thank you. And it's a brilliant question. So the Awakened Company merges wisdom traditions with practical know-how and business research. And the book was written, was published over seven years ago. And it took me seven years before that to write it. As you know, being an author, it takes a heck of a lot of time. And just now it's being released. And so what brought me to it is practical experience. So creating an organization that was one of the most profitable companies in Canada and also recognized as the best workplace. And my partners and I decided we'd do things radically differently. So we are doing mindfulness in our boardroom decades ago. Mm -hmm. And we are doing unlimited vacation decades ago. And by doing that and kind of trusting people And doing all these little hacks, it's all about the little hacks. And I was like, oh, I need to write a book. But how the book came to me is very, very interesting. I was with my colleague, Carolyn, and we are sitting in a dimly lit cafe in New York City. And it was like a lightning bolt shot through the top of my head and said, you've got to write a book called The Awakened Company. So I immediately turned to my colleague, Carolyn. I'm like, Carolyn, I think I'm supposed to write this book, The Awakened Company. She looked at me and she was like, yes, you are. And that's how the book began. And it originally began as actually a recruiting book because I I was uh, it was an executive search firm that I I co-founded and the. We were just doing things radically differently. But anyway, we I wrote the book as how to recruit great people. Well, that got terrible reviews 
my business partners were like, Kath, this is so boring and so dry. But I kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And I knew I wanted Eckhart Tolle's publisher to publish it, Constance Kello, because I thought it would be a radical statement to have an organization that's all about consciousness, right? You know, publish a business book. And when she first got it, she's like, no way, I'm not going to publish this. Well, I just kept at it like the Mm -hmm. little, you know, like I'm like the little engine that could, you know, (laughs) I'm like, I'm just going to keep trying and keep trying. Well, I asked her probably four times and she finally agreed she would publish it. And at the same time, I was soliciting opinions from other people like Otto Scharmer from MIT, Rosemary Cario, Patagonia, and they didn't know me. So just listeners, get out of your comfort zone and ask people and who cares if they say no. And then eventually the book was published, became a bestseller, won awards. But what I'm most thrilled about is the impact it's having on people's lives. Mm -hmm. And what is it, you know, let's for our listeners, business leaders, aspiring leaders, what is the benefit of being an awakened company? What um, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the benefits of empathy to your organization, but you're talking about even something bigger. So, you know, what are some of the benefits to an organization of operating this way? And can you give us some examples? Who are some of your bright lights that you look to in terms of like they're doing it right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So the benefits are when we're aligned with our vertical, like our actual beingness, everything becomes more sacred. So when our engagement goes up, our performance goes up. And I also would invite everyone to think of their organizations as almost like organisms so that they become alive entities in and of themselves. And what's been shown is when we focus two thirds on creating healthy cultures and one third on financial results, that is where alchemy happens. Now, so often I'll meet with CEOs and like, hey, Kath, can you take my organization from zero to 1.6 billion like you did in five years, like you did that other organization? And I'm like, that's the wrong mantra. That's yeah. the wrong approach. Right. It's, it's like, how do we create the healthy cultures, mm-hmm. the healthy, vibrant force in our organizations where there's connection? As recently, we were, it wasn't me, it was me and my colleagues. We were recently working with a company who had amazing processes, but there was no connection between the people. Mm-hmm. So, or very little connection between the people. So where did we focus our energy? Creating connection between people. Because it's in the connection that the processes come alive. Whereas if they're just processes, it, we, we're not omatrons. And I believe any organization can become an awakened company with the right intention and with the right leadership. So I don't, you know, I think the time is gone to kind of hold up certain companies. I think we can learn from everybody and everything. And that's the invitation with awakening companies is like, oh, that company's doing this. Isn't that interesting? How do we apply that to our organization? I interviewed Zappos for the book. And one of the things that they do that I loved is R&D, which is rip off and duplicate. And I think that's just so smart and wise. Like, how are we learning emerging organizations? And that's the invitation. And also to view it as a grand experiment, because what will work for one company won't work for another company. Mm-hmm. And to really in kind of consider individually our corporate cultures. That's why I don't believe in cookie cutter culture. I think our cultures have got to be diverse for us to have a healthy 
healthy world and also healthy organizations. And so what, you know, you've talked in the past about the highest performing leaders are self-aware. Mm-hmm. So I know you have opinions about how empathy makes people more self-aware. Can you share that with us? And maybe some examples of clients you've worked with who've made that transition. Well, so one of the things I speak about is, are we coming from our awake place or are we coming from our asleep place? So I often think people won't like me. I have a rejection structure that's pretty strong. And so when I come in with that attitude, oh, they're not going to like me. I'm too strong. I'm too bossy. I'm too blah, blah, blah. You know, I have these kind of negative things that I see about myself. And that's coming from my asleep place. That's not reality. And when I come from that asleep place, what's interesting is it reinforces itself. So how do I come from my more awakened state that just being with somebody, just relaxing, just relaxing into being and really thinking about like putting myself in the other person's shoes instead of worrying so much about myself. Mm -hmm. Really, I'm not that interesting. Other people are far more interesting to me than me. And to come from that place that life is happening actually for me rather than life is happening to me. And I think the key ingredients in this, in our relationships, and I talk about this in the book, are how are we being heartful? How are we being mindful? And how are we being spacious? So heartful, like how are we really connecting at a heart level with the other person? And super interestingly, the most engaged group of people are those who are positively noticed. So how do we, here's a hack, begin to just positively notice those around you. Mm -hmm. It's a simple, simple empathy slash leadership hack. Mm-hmm. notice the good things people are doing. Well, that's a very, you know, reinforcement of a more positive narrative that you learn with raising children. You learn about like, don't just be on them when they screw up. Make sure you're catching them doing good. Make sure you're catching them being good, being positive, being helpful. And, you know, we don't evolve that much in terms of those needs from childhood. <laughs> we need those because we are setting those scripts and setting those narratives and if we're getting that positive reinforcement, along with, you know, the thing I often hear from leaders is, well, I don't want quality to slip if I'm going to be doing all this conscious work and being empathetic. You don't have to because being mm-hmm. empathetic means you're really clear and it means you help someone when they trip and they don't meet those expectations or they don't meet that performance level. The empathetic leadership style is to figure out what's going on for them mm-hmm. and not it's not to lower the bar it's to help them reach the bar that you're setting. Very much so, very much so. And also what I love about your perspective is it's learning. So I love Carol Dweck's research, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Mm -hmm. you know. The um, growth mindset. The growth mindset versus the closed mindset. So that it's not a conclusion. It's not just about getting the gold star. We all have gold stars and negative stickies all over us. It's more about what are we actually learning? Mm Mm-hmm. How are we present to the here and now with our colleagues? Mm -hmm. And we so often put old narratives on on people and old stickies on people when the focus really should be, okay, we're here together now. This is what's in front of us now. What are we learning? Where are we growing? Where are we experimenting? And to have that frame of kind of how in our relationships are we 
heartful? How are we mindful? Like, so how are we considering, you know, each other intellectually? Mm-hmm. And that's really, really important. When you look at transformational leadership, one of the key aspects is intellectual stimulation that we need to inspire each other through good questions like you're asking right now to get people thinking in different ways. And then how are we spacious? And that is recognizing that we're actually autonomous, that we're together and we're autonomous. And it's really, really important to honor people's individual journeys Mm -hmm. in our organizations, that it's not a cookie cutter approach. And that's another aspect of trying transformational leadership, which is one of the most well-researched business models or leadership models is individualized consideration. We need to consider people as individuals. So all of these kind of ingredients put together a healthy soup for our organizations and also for our lives. Like we can pretend that we're not, that we're work and home are separate. And that's simply not true. If we're checking our being at the door when we come to work, that's a problem. And if we're checking our work when we come to home in terms of, no, that's a problem too. We're, we are all, our sense of time and we do need boundaries. However, our beingness and our ability to relate to each other is where the alchemy is in awakening ourselves, awakening our relationships and awakening our collective field. And I do think that there is, we're at a point in time where it's very interesting because I think many awakening organizations are feeling the sense of oneness that I haven't seen before. Yes. Which is really, really exciting to me. It is. And I know, you know, the pandemic accelerated a lot of these conversations. And, you know, I'm sure you felt this too. I've I've shared this on the podcast before with listeners, but you know, when I was first shopping my book around to agents. They didn't get it. They were like, I don't understand. Is it a business book or is it a self-improvement book? And I'm like, it's a business book, but mm-hmm. it's aligning our connections and our and our compassion and our humanity mm-hmm. with our work. And mm-hmm. actually, there's a business case to be made for that. And so, yes, sometimes you have to convince people, the skeptics, with the business case. And that's what I did with the book. But my my sneaky goal was just to help create a more empathetic society because it, you know, we talked about before we started recording, it spills over. You know, you practice at work, you make work your laboratory, your playground, because you spend the bulk of your time there. But you can't tell me that's not going to impact the person you are when you go home to your family and your friends. You're not going to, you're not going to switch off that empathy. And so collectively, if we can say, okay, the moral arguments to be more empathetic and compassionate might not be working for everybody. So Let's figure out a way to look at at the benefits this offers and it offers to an organization. And what I love about your work is that you are tying it to performance, to excellence, to transformational leadership, not just you know something woo-woo out there that people can't embrace, but something that they can tangibly see in their organizations if they're willing to try, if they're willing to get curious and they're humble enough to say, I don't know how this is going to go, but we're going to try. Well, and let's talk about this trying because decades ago, I'd be in the boardroom and begin with mindfulness and I would literally be sweating because it would be, it was something nobody had heard of. And so I think it's that willingness to try and to risk ourselves and to risk kind of falling flat or however, if we're aligned with the vertical dimension or with 
presence, we'll always be learning something. And let's talk about some data on relationships and organizations, because I'm really big, like you are, in terms of marrying all these different dimensions, because it it's at the intersection where I think reality is. Mm-hmm. So in terms of relationships, the majority of people rate the worst time of their day is their time with their bosses. So we have a whole bunch of boss holes. And it's tragic for the leaders and tragic for the employees because no leader wants to be known as a boss hole and nobody <laughs> wants to work for a boss hole. I love that term. That's great. Oh. Well, and, and so the invitation is like, okay, we need to do something different in our relationships and to try and to get vulnerable mm-hmm. and to maybe sweat a little like I did at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'd really literally be in a room full of men and sweating talking about let's do a centering practice. Yeah, And then we can also look at the data in terms of our organizations and the majority of businesses don't survive past 10 years. What more do we need? We have people who are disengaged. We have people who rate the worst time of their day is their time with their bosses. So that's individual relationships. Then collectively, the majority of our businesses don't survive past 10 years. So the invitation for the work we're doing is there. Mm-hmm. People it is needed and required to create a more compassionate, grounded world. I am very big into it needs to be grounded. It can't just be all woo woo. No, no. We need the esoteric ideas to come to life in how we're working together and operating together. And that's the only way I see us, uh, the only way for us to be able to solve the challenges that we're facing is for this more global collective consciousness in a very grounded way mm-hmm. come to life. And it's all by our simple day-to-day interactions. And so we can't pretend we're going to save the world. No, it's like, what am I doing today? Mm-hmm. What am I doing right now to be of service to help humanity or help the planet and or help the planet? So that brings up an interesting question because I've talked to a lot of organizations where You'll get folks that are not in leadership positions saying, but what can I do? I'm not the CEO. I'm not the person setting the tone for the organization. And I have an answer I give them, but I want to hear what your answer would be to them. Okay. I will say it. And then I want to hear yours because I'm very interested. (laughs) So we're all leaders is what I say. And I truly believe. And I think the moment we think we're not a leader is the moment we aren't of of service to ourselves, actually. I believe everybody is a leader. And I also really believe that everybody should have a personal aim. So that is an intention. I believe we lead with intention. Then we place our attention on our intention and being very receptive with that. And then we action or inaction. Mm -hmm. And those three pillars are very, very important. And often people don't have personal aims. So I'd say, okay, what's your personal aim? And to really focus because it elevates us when we have personal aims. And then I'd also talk about, are we coming from our awake place? Are we coming from our asleep place? Mm -hmm. And how does this play out with our self-awareness? And what is our Enneagram type? And how does that, how is that working into it? So now how would you respond? Because I want to hear what you What I often talk about and I talked about in the book is that we all have a sphere of influence. Whether Mm -hmm. it's 10,000 people in our company and I'm the CEO or I'm an individual contributor just out of college and I work on a team of five people and I have my family and my friends that I influence. And so by adopting the method of work 
that feels more compassionate to you, more empathetic, that is more about connections, you create a ripple effect. So even if it's not a decree coming from on high from mm-hmm. the CEO, even within a very negative culture, you can create a microculture because if you operate this way and you succeed, that's contagious. Mm-hmm. And people will go, well, wow, I really like the way Catherine operates and her how she builds relationships and she's killing it. She's meeting all her goals. How does she do it? Mm-hmm. You become a model for people to go, I can succeed that way. And so it can start it can start a groundswell. It is easier if the top leadership is modeling this behavior, recognizing this behavior, putting their money where their mouth is in terms of the company's actions, policies, ethics. But it doesn't mean that you can't influence your sphere of influence. So you don't have to wait for that decree to come from on high. So it sounds very aligned. It sounds very much like you're about the same thing, which is And I love that you're adding in this element of if even if you think your organization, now it doesn't mean you stay in an organization that's toxic or negative or if you're not happy there, but it also doesn't mean you have to give up on an organization. If you love your job, you love your team, you can create that microculture. But what I love that you've added to this is what is that intention? What is that aim? Almost like a mini mission statement for your group of five or your group of 10 You don't Mm -hmm. have to wait for the official mission statement and purpose statement from your organization. You can create one for your team. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And for yourself. Well, and it begins with ourselves. And I love what you just described because it kind of showed the drop of the Awaken Company and the ripples that Mm -hmm. you just described it so eloquently and beautiful. And yeah, begin with our individual aim and then get a, a group of people. And what's important, what I've learned from a lot of practical experience when creating a group vision Mm -hmm. is something that Margaret Wheatley says, which is people support what they create. So ensuring that it is a group process Mm -hmm. and learn from my mistakes. So I'll give you, I'll tell you a story uh, (laughs) of uh, when we started Blue Era, I, we had a team meeting and I was like, okay, here's our vision. And I kind of rammed it down everybody's throats. Right. And Blue Era was your, was your staffing firm. Yes. Yeah. It was was the executive search firm. Yeah. I'm a serial Mm -hmm. entrepreneur, as you know. And so then we had someone come in from Denmark because we weren't doing, we were doing work that nobody else that we are aware of in North America was doing. So we wanted somebody else's perspective and another Vista, another country's Vista too. And the first question he asked was, what is your organization's vision? And nobody raised their hands. And that night I freaking cried myself to sleep. Like I was just like, I have failed. Epic leadership failure. Like, and so leaders don't repeat what I did. And I realized it's because I didn't get people involved. I did not get people involved. So once we move from that kind of individual mission, and I believe everyone should have a mission statement or a vision statement and or an aim, depending on what you want to call it. And then if you're going to do it with a select group of people, create it together. Mm-hmm. Same with values, create together. So the pillars at the organizational level that I used is energize, sustain, regenerate, and to really use those pillars to build your organization. So the Awakening Company is very practical. And our how-to book that's coming out, I don't know when, but when it comes out, it's very practical. I also have, um, I'm going to be doing a whole partnership webinar series with Dr. Deborah Egerton. And that's going to be amazing because I think partnerships are the way to go in terms of the future. And this growing this 
the growing of this collective consciousness, this community consciousness. <laughs> I think that is the future. I think we're moving away from our individual kind of individual egos, maybe mm -hmm. to how do we create healthier collective mm -hmm. that I really think is the future. So the next well, step. Yeah. Yeah. We need that because we have, especially in the U S we've become such an individualistic society and we need to move more towards the collective and the community. Mm -hmm. And if we can even just, again, one of those things, learning these lessons at work and within our organizations will hopefully carry over. So I love, I love this work that you're doing. As we wrap up, I want to give people a very practical action they can take. So can we discuss an empathic practice to bring us home in our bodies? Again, starting from the individual, something that any listener can keep in mind or can do. What are some thoughts you have on that? So back to my example yesterday of just noticing how I wanted to jump into action. So the first thing <laughs> is to no to notice. And then what I do is I do a deep belly breath because often we're just breathing from the top part of our lungs. Mm -hmm. I feel my feet on the ground. Then I feel my right hand, my right arm, my right leg, my left leg, my left arm. And then I let my body just relax. Mm-hmm. Like a body and scan. So that body, it's like a mini body scan, but it's mm -hmm. very deliberate and you can do it in a nanosecond mm -hmm. and it brings you right into the present moment so that you can operate from your three centers. So from those three portals of empathy, and I really see them as portals of empathy and to come from that more present place in our relating and relationships. Mm, I love that. And just We've done episodes in the past, I'll put some links in the show notes where we've talked about the importance of the leadership pause and that we can still be productive, we can still get stuff done, we can still, you know, perform at a high level, but just like, you know, recharging our phone at night, we've got to take that pause. We've got to be able to slow ourselves down enough or we can't hear or see anybody else. They're just a blur if we're moving too fast. So true. And just checking in, what's my gut telling me? What's my heart telling me? What's my head telling me? Mm -hmm. And if you get different responses, that means you're not aligned. So don't say anything. Yeah, absolutely. Until you get alignment in your three centers or the three forms of empathy, just stillness, pause, nothingness, and relaxation. Mm -hmm. Because often that gives the universe time to actually respond on its own. I love that. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Catherine. Thank you. We are going to have all your links, link to your organization, link to your book, the link to your YouTube channel in the show notes, as well as some of the other resources we mentioned here today, the Enneagram and Carol Dweck's book and some past episodes of The Empathy Edge. But for folks on the go or who might be listening while they're walking or working out, where's, where's one or two places that folks can get in touch with you? Instagram. Awaken Company and Facebook Awaken Company and Twitter Awaken Company. And we really see our social media as public service. So there's tons of helpful hints, helpful, practical hints on there. So join our social media, get, you know, tell us what your impressions are and share with us your thoughts. So yeah, social media is the best way to connect. I love it. Thank you so much, Catherine. And thank you everyone for listening to another great episode of the Empathy Edge podcast. Please remember to share it with your friends or colleagues if you like what you heard. 
And don't forget to rate and review if you get a chance on the podcast player of your choice. Until next time and my next amazing guest, please remember that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Take care and be kind. For more on how to achieve radical success through empathy, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There you can listen to past episodes, access show notes and free resources, book me for a keynote or workshop, and sign up for our email list to get new episodes, insights, news, and events. Please follow me on Instagram at Red Slice Maria. Never forget, empathy is your superpower. Use it to make your work and the world a better place. Thank you.